themes have two other components to it. It's, you know, why are those things important? Not just what is the one thing or what are your top two or three priorities, but why are they important? What are the implications of accomplishing those things, not accomplishing whatever? And then from the seller's perspective, to make sure that you've got really good evidence that backs that up once you establish those win things and you have receptivity and you're talking in those, then that's where your artifacts and your evidence come into play. You know, I just did a webinar and I gave an example, we were talking about this, and if you try to send a prospect a case study and they didn't ask for it, they can't even hit delete fast enough. Nobody wants like an attachment they didn't ask for. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Lisa Magnuson. Lisa's the author of a book titled, The Top Sales Leaders Playbook, how to win 5x deals repeatedly. And in today's conversation, Lisa and I talk about one of my favorite topics as well, which is winning big deals. We talk about how companies make selling big deals harder than it needs to be. Lisa shares her concept of the customer perception spectrum and what sellers need to do to move up the spectrum in the eyes of their customers. We also dig into the whole topic of pre-call planning and why Lisa believes too many sellers are shortchanging themselves by shortchanging the pre-call planning and what the downsides are that flow from that. We also dive deep into qualification and talk about Lisa's three layers of prospect qualification, early, core, and advanced, and map how those three layers map to the buyer's own journey to understand the problem they're trying to solve and how they can achieve their desired outcomes. So, okay, all this and much, much more. But before we get to Lisa, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. So thanks. Let's jump into it. Lisa, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So you're based where again? Portland, Oregon. Portland, Pacific Oregon. Northwest. Gorgeous, gorgeous place. Just, yes. last, just last week here in San Diego, we were enjoying the fruits of Portland because we were visiting our local salt and straw ice cream parlor. Ah, I know. We love salt and straw. We actually have oh. one in the city I live in. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's like three blocks from my house and it's very dangerous. I mean, it's yes. uh, the, salted, <laughs> the salted malted chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Oy. So, yeah. so good. So, yes. so good. Yes, and salted caramel and all the other salted yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, okay. I shouldn't be recording this around lunchtime because now I'm hungry. Uh, yeah, yeah. So tell people again who, yeah, it's been a while since we've been on the show about your business yeah. and what you do. Yeah, so um, I am the founder and CEO of Topline Sales, and our whole company, all my services revolve around working with sales VPs, in companies, you know, 20 million to 300 million is kind of mm -hmm. our sweet spot. And their sales teams, I call them account teams, because um, our whole work is around accounts and big deals. So right. um, it's kind of that long-term developing, identifying, developing, and closing really, really big deals, like whales. <laughs> whales, yeah, to use Barbara Weaver Smith's term. Right. So, yeah. Um, so which way do you sort of approach that? I mean, are you approaching it from helping them learn how, as you said, to identify and get into those accounts or more? How do you execute the opportunities once you've sort of got one on the hook? Yeah, so both. Uh, sometimes, like I was just, you know, with a client this morning and we are just literally trying to get a response for some initial engagement. But, you know, we scored the account or the prospect and mm -hmm. it's a great fit for their business. Um, and not just one, we have sort of a group, we just need one this year. So we've identified four or five and, and, but, you know, starting from scratch and, mm -hmm. uh, kind of rubbing two sticks together, just try to get a spark. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes I engage, you know, right in the middle. So, you know, there's already things happening and, you know, what's, what's probably the least productive for me is to engage at the end. Maybe there's an RFP. Now this does happen. Um, sure. but by that time we've lost that long sales runway and the ability to do all the things necessary to really, you know, set everybody up for success. But, um, yeah. I just try to meet teams where they are. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I wonder sometimes it's, is whether companies make this whole, uh, issue, not issue, this whole <laughs> initiative of selling to big companies harder than it needs to be. 
Uh, you know, because certainly you look at in the tech world, SaaS companies, let's say, and it's been you know, non-SaaS tech companies is, oh, we're going to start in the SMB space and we're going to migrate our way up. And and my advice, and actually, I started my company to my own company two decades ago to help other companies with this. Is yeah, my experience had been I was working for startups. We were selling seven and eight figure systems to mission critical systems to large companies and we you know barely had two dimes to rub together ourselves <laughs> but yeah we won a lot of these deals and so i was working with companies to help them smaller companies learn how to go out and compete against the big guys for big deals as yeah. sort of as you do and it's like my thought is like why if you think you have a product that's fit for large enterprise go sell to large enterprise yeah well, that's exactly it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it isn't simple. It's complex. There's lots that need to happen. But um, one sort of fun factor, side comment, I have heard from multiple clients in the last, like, 12 months where they've sold what I call 5X deals, and that's about five times your average deal size, right. um, you know, without ever meeting the prospect. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that is sort of new, Um, uh, so that, you know, in that way, you know, things have been simplified, but, but generally, you know, these are complex. They take time. There's people on, 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 you know, the, the, the buyer side on the seller side, there's also prospects now have no tolerance for risk, little to no. They also only care about immediate outcomes and results. So nobody's working on their five-year plan. They're working on what can we do to get outcomes and impacts now. Right. Also, things need to be so simple. Conversations need to be simple. Next steps need to be simple. Proposals need to be simple. Presentations need to be simple. Everything needs to be simple. So, you know, it was funny. One of my clients said, um, this was a little bit ago, uh, said, well, you know, the client really wants it to be casual. This was like a finalist type of discussion. And, and he said, the client really wants it to be, you know, really casual. So we probably don't need to do any pre-call planning. (laughs) And I was just taken aback. I'm like, are you kidding me? We need to double down because we have to do so much planning so you can come off very casual and very simple. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Easy, right? There's some quote about that as, yeah. Yeah, making things look easy is really a lot. Takes a lot of hard work. Um, yes, and that's certainly an exemplification of that. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I certainly see it as that this whole idea of compressing the time to value, right? Is so if if this is what we think that we're going to get out of uh, this investment as a as a buyer, yeah, I'm going to orient myself toward what I can get the value out of quicker. I think that's going to start changing. Here, yes. but I mean, certainly, in when you're in the heart of, of the pandemic and there's so much uncertainty, and not that we don't have uncertainty, we have a lot of uncertainty still, but people at least starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel somewhat. Um, yeah, you, you can't you can't you can't blame people for wanting to say, yeah, let's be short term oriented. Exactly, and you know, you think about even your own, you know, what you pay attention to in the course of it any given day. Right now, it's your a priorities. You know, if, it, if it email's coming across, if they're not an A priority, they get deleted. Project's not an A priority, get put on the back burner, you know. And so there is sort of this just, you know, if, if you're a salesperson and you're going after a longer-term opportunity, it's harder than ever to figure out what that A priority is so you can, you can you know, get in and, and, and get some interaction and, and get right. things advancing. But I think that's... That's really, I think, I think the problem for a lot of sellers is they just don't understand that is their a priority, right? Their a priority, in my mind, and it's this isn't really hasn't changed at all over decades, but is as a seller, your job is to understand, you know, to listen and to understand what's the single most important thing to the buyer, right? And then exactly your your job is then to help them get that. Yeah. So. Understand, help them get that. So if you if you don't get to the point of understanding what that most important thing is, instead of hey, I'm trying to understand a, a, a panoply of things, right, a spectrum of things, there's always one thing that's most important, and I I call it the one thing, right? What's the one thing? Find out what the one thing is, 
Yes, I call those wind themes. And it's, yeah. you know, and we talked about this last time when, you know, last year, it's it's so important, especially when you were trying to simplify. So I love your one thing, you know, to, wind themes for me are usually, you know, right. maybe two or three, but it's their priorities. And then what are your strengths to match those priorities? And you really don't need to talk about anything else because it's, you really only need to talk about yourself in the context of their priorities. And then the win themes have two other components to it. It's, you know, why are those things important? Not just what is the one thing or Mm -hmm. what are your top two or three priorities, Mm -hmm. but why are they important? What are the implications of, of, you know, accomplishing those things, not accomplishing whatever. And then from the, from the seller's perspective to make sure that you've got really good evidence that backs that up once you establish those win things and you have receptivity and mm-hmm. you're talking in those, then that's where your artifacts and your evidence come into play. So, you know, I just did a webinar and I gave an example. We were talking about, um, we were talking about this and, 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 you know, if you, if you try to send a prospect a case study and they didn't ask for it, they they can't even hit delete fast enough. Nobody wants like an attachment they didn't ask for. Oh no, for. no, that's content. Content's king. Exactly. You know, it's like so un, you know, yeah, it's just it's it, there's no it's not going to resonate. But same same case study, if you've gone to the trouble of finding either their one thing or their priorities and you you've talked about why they're important and then, you know, the strengths that you bring to bear and you have a case study that backs that up, all of a sudden that case study is extraordinarily valuable. Right. So same case study. In one case, it's a an annoyance and a delete and a, you know, I think poorly of you because you sent this to me and I want it. Right. In other case, like super valuable. <laughs> well, and so to your point you're making, is, and that's why I use the word very carefully when I was talking about this, is, is you have to, understand what the most important thing is. And that encompasses the why is, right? Yeah. Is too often in sales these days, you know, we train sellers, you know, ask these questions and they have a collection of information so they know things, but they don't understand things, right? Yes. And when you, to your point about the case study, when you try to sell before you understand, you have this huge disconnect with the buyer. Huge disconnect. And, and and this is this is people need to shift their mindset away from oh I know these things to I understand these things. Uh, it's such an important you you make such a great point there. It's it's you know I came up through selling a million years ago with Xerox, um, uh, and it's funny because younger people are like Xerox is that a who is that what? <laughs> and you know it was Xerox was like a a force. Um, you know, yeah. as, as you know, I spent my time there and went all through all the sales roles. But there was Xerox embraced spin selling, and they didn't, you know, invent it, but you know, massively right. embraced. And I feel like what people have lost today, and we need to get back, is the I in spin selling, and the I stands for implication. Mm-hmm. So at Xerox, it was always like, you know, S is what is their situation? B, right. what are their problems? I, what are the implications? And all Patience. the successful salespeople at Xerox understood the power of the I. Mm-hmm. And that model might be older, the spin model, and and but that whole thing of the implication is what you and I are talking about. And in some ways I think needs to have a resurgence because, you know, Mm -hmm. salespeople also are distracted and overwhelmed. So they feel like if they uncover a couple problems, good enough, they're just ready to go, you know, straight to propose or, you know, whatever the next, you know, they don't kind of go, you know what, we need to slow down to speed up later we need to delve mm-hmm. into the why or the implication because that is where the motivation is. And that's where the true commitment is um, yes. from the prospect. Yeah. Well, I, I try to stress to people and the people listening to this as well is that one of the biggest sources of value you can provide to a buyer is to make them feel understood. Yes. Listen and understood. Right. Yes. I mean, well, they can't can't make them feel understood if you haven't listened, right? I mean, I, yeah. I put those together, right? Is yeah. is 
if they feel that you understand them. I mean, I I include the story in this new book I'm working on. It's about this an account that you know, I was working for a startup and it was this big yeah, multi-million dollar deal. We had no business winning, really, realistically. But when I asked afterwards, they said, because you're the only company, I said person, but it was person and company because that's not the only one on the deal. But they said, yeah, the only one who under who we felt understood exactly what we were trying to do. It's it's like it's and like a deep human, you know. Need. Well, yeah. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs being yeah. understood is on there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, but I think this is it just can't be stressed enough, right? It's it's one thing to do your discovery and think that you know something, but you, you probably don't understand it, and and you have to sort of go that extra mile, just take the extra time, ask some more questions, confirm your understanding. You know, I love to do after I think we've gotten to the point where we think we understand is ask the question. So, all right, this is what we think we understand. Yeah. So, what are we missing? Right. What are we missing? Yeah, validate right? it. What else? Right. Final question. I've, well, I've already validated it. Now I'm going to ask one more question. All right, we validated it. We both agree. What are we missing? Yeah. And and you get to that stage, then yeah, chances are you've got a good understanding of what it is that's most important to them that they're trying to accomplish, and you can help them. You got a path to help them. So for your listeners out there, you know that are that are uh, listening to this this discussion, you know I, I, the downside of not doing this, and I'm I see this all the time. Yeah, stalls and stops. So yes. if you if you do a root cause analysis on stalls and stops, it's either you didn't qualify, there weren't, you know, it happened in the qualify stage, or you didn't develop the why or the implications mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call that. You know, it's th- those are 95% of the stalls and stops that occur mm-hmm. can be traced back to one of those two things or a combination. Yeah, no, I Hundred percent, right? I mean, if you, if <laughs> if if the customers or the prospects gone radio silent, <coughs> excuse me, this is a good reason why they think you just don't get it. Yeah, and they've made the decision that they're not going to invest any more time to trying to help you understand it. Exactly, and that's just sort of fact of life. They've made a judgment that you're not worth their time. That's right. And that's all of a sudden, no return phone calls, no return emails, no, you know, no agreement for any further appointments or discussion. And so it's like those stakes are so high that it's just don't don't put yourself in that position where that's what's going to occur. Yeah. Well, so you brought up the term earlier about pre-call planning. Yeah. My favorite topic, by the way. Oh, your favorite topic. Absolutely my favorite Uh, topic. (laughs) <laughs> well, good. I thought maybe it'd be ice cream. We could talk about that some more. But um, <laughs> I would even I put pre-call planning above ice cream. That's how much wow. it's your favorite topic. <laughs> All right, my my respect for it has gone way up. So, um, yeah, this is this is <laughs> is so important because you're just not. I don't know. It, it, too often, we sort of treat sales as a sort of linear stage sales set of events, and we just one leads to another to another. We just sort of go through it, and the buyer sort of goes with us. And the fact is, they have a choice every step of the way whether to continue to go through it. And part of that choice, as we just talked about, is made is whether they assess that you're a good use of their time. In the absence of well planned out calls, chances are, you know, if you try to improvise, they're going to decide, yeah, this isn't worth my time. Well, so I just published an article called Why Pre-Call Planning is No Longer Optional. And the reason why that was the title is because pre-call planning has been my favorite topic for literally like 15 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I work with, I have got training, I've got break talk webinars on it. Got, you know, I've got actually for your listeners, I have got a rock solid awesome two-page fillable PDF pre-call planning <clears throat> guide that they can get for free on my website. Download. Download it right now. Start using it. And if they commit to that as a habit, they can also now get 20 for, 20% or better improvement in their in their um, sales you know, mm-hmm. effectiveness. 
Right. But um, but yeah, it's just it it we are at the point where prospects aren't because they're overwhelmed because they're distracted. They're you're, you have to do pre-call planning. It's not optional anymore unless you want to have lots of stalls and stops. If that's your choice, then okay, fine. But if that's not your choice, you have to commit to pre-call planning. And, you know, it's funny. I just, I update that pre-call planning guide every year, every other year mm-hmm. at minimum. So that means I've been using it and updating it for like literally 15 right. years. The latest version of it includes wind theme development, like we just talked about, mm-hmm. you know, narrowing in on what you would call right. the one thing. But it also includes another thing I added with, with the re- recent update. It includes planning to add value. Mm-hmm. So prospects, all the statistics are clear. They expect value in every interaction. And salespeople don't always know how to deliver value. They don't know what all the kinds of value they can bring. Mm-hmm. And so by adding that to pre-call planning, it forces them to think about it. It's like what value is the prospect looking for? Mm-hmm. And what value can we provide? Yep. Like my case study example, it's like a case study can be really valuable sometimes. Sometimes it can be not valuable at all. Right. But there's so many things that that salespeople have access to. They have access to resources. They have access to expertise. They have access to data in some cases that their their prospects don't have, to tools, all kinds of things, events, networking things, tons and tons of stuff. As a matter of fact, in my training things, I have started having salespeople list all of the value that they can bring their prospects, you know, in like 12 different areas, just so they mm-hmm. can think about them, not as a whole, but very specifically. And they love that exercise because they're like, wow, I didn't know I had access to so much value that I could deliver to my prospects. But, you know, that's just the beginning. What what you really need during the pre-call planning is to figure out, you know, based on where your prospect is in their branding journey, based on where you are, what value are they seeking? And then what value might you be able to provide and connect those two? And that's part of pre-call planning because prospects expect value with every interaction, period. Yeah, 100% agree, 1,000% agree. Yeah, I, I, I talk about it in terms of creating a value plan for a call along the lines of what you're talking about. It's very similarly. Yes. Because the way the buyers, my experience, the way buyers mark a successful interaction with a seller and the way I want people to think about it is that the buyer is closer to making a decision as a result of the call than they were before the call. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, yeah, you have to plan the call out to say, okay, what is, I, I try to be a little more precise with the sellers and say, look, you should know, right? If I'm a sales manager and I come to you and say, okay, you know, here's these opportunities in your pipeline. We're talking to do a pipeline review. For every opportunity that you consider a qualified opportunity, you should be able to tell me what is the value we need to provide in our next interaction? What, what's the customer's expectations in order to help them move closer to making a decision? And if you're as a seller, you don't know the answer to that question, right? For every qualified opportunity, if you don't know what you need to do on the next interaction to help them move closer to making a decision, then you're not paying attention at the depth and you're not asking the questions at the depth that you need to. Yeah. You should know that in your head for a set for every qualified opportunity you have. And so on that next call, to your point, you know. Now, it may change as you do your call planning and so on. You may see something that, you know, as you think about it and you bounce it off a sales manager or whatever, it may expand, may contract, but you have an idea in your head. Yes. Because you need to think about from the buyer's perspective is, is and we touched on this earlier, is they, they're calculating a return on their investment of time and attention in you. Absolutely. 100%. And so... If you're not helping them move forward and they've invested all this time in you, well, what was the purpose of taking their time? Well, it's no different than what I already had on my two-page fillable PDF pre-call planning guide is, you know, it had a section for planning out your your questions, your sales questions, mm-hmm. um, yep. which gives you an opportunity to think about them broadly, 
kind of craft them in the way that you might want to ask them. I'm never a, form, a fan of anything memorized or wrote, but by by doing that in your planning, then they're going to come out more the way you want them to. Right. But but so so you know thinking about value is no different than thinking about those sales questions that you're going to ask, and and right. and, and and both are important. Um, mm-hmm. And they all sort of then come together in that agenda, the agenda for the prospect call. And in some cases, you know, salespeople go, well, my, I don't want to, agenda's too formal. My, my prospects don't want a, a, an agenda. It's like, okay, just do discussion points then. Mm-hmm. But don't ever go into a call without one of the two of those, either an right. agenda or discussion points that you've sent in advance and they can see that it's going to be valuable you're really clear on what that is and where you're going to ask your questions and where you're going to add value. And it's like, if you do all that, it's, it's 20% boost is probably such an, you know, an understatement Mm -hmm. because you're really crafting that, you know, you're making the impact at the point of interaction with your prospect and you are doing everything within your power to make that the best interaction possible. Yeah. And as part of that planning, and you sort of were alluding to that as you write no. down your questions. I agree, it's memorizing questions, not no. not where you want to be. But the way to help you with that is to actually go through a visualization. Yeah, right? yeah. Think yeah. about, ask the question, what are they going to say in response, right? If I say this, how might they respond to that? What questions might they have in, yeah. in response to that? If they ask this question, what would my answer be? If they ask, is... Yeah, it may change in the in the moment, but work through those scenarios. Exactly. I mean, if it's an important interaction, exactly. Don't leave a chance. This doesn't take twenty minutes because you're doing it in your mind, so it's going to happen much more quickly, hopefully, yeah. than it would in real life. Is spend five ten minutes and just just walk through. Yeah, if I say this, they might say that. If they say that, well, then how do I get them to hear and have have a game plan. Well, it's funny because account teams over the years, they're, you know, we're talking about pre-call planning and they'll say, well, you know, how, how much time should we spend? Um, and I'm like, you know what? There's a 10 to 15 minute version. It's a call. Maybe you already know, you know, it's a second or third or fourth or fifth or 10th call. You know, you know the person. That's kind of a 10 minute version. Maybe there's not, you know, there's two mm-hmm. or three people on, in the meeting. And then there's the 30 minute version. So maybe you've got multiple people in the meeting on both sides. You know, and then there's the hour plus version where you're planning for an executive, a C-suite call, and that's going to take a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're going to really map things out in greater detail and, and, and bring other people into that into that thought process. So it's you size it for the for what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, the importance, right? The importance of the call is yeah. your preparation time should mirror that. I mean, it's just like. Yeah, you know, if you're a seller and you're going to give a presentation to a client, uh, you know, if it was a eighty million dollar deal, you'd probably prep more than if it was a eighty thousand dollar deal. Exactly. So exactly. You know, you're, it's not unrealistic that your your prep should mirror the importance of the event that's taking place. But the, but salespeople really do get kind of caught up in that. It's like, well, I don't have time to do. You know, it's like, well, you don't have time to not do this, but also it doesn't always have to take so much time. Right. You know, it's, well, that's why I talk, stress the visualization. You can do it in just a few minutes. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Just walk through it. If then, then that. If this, then that. And just run those scenarios through your head. You know, you mentioned presentations, and and uh, uh, I'm kind of on a little bit of a war path around presentations right now too, <laughs> because I think the whole whether it's a demo or just a a regular presentation or a finalist presentation for a really large opportunity. Mm-hmm. The whole presentation, the notion of presentations, I believe has to be literally blown up and, and recreated. Um, you know, gone are the days when a prospect can, uh, you know, can withstand it any more than a couple PowerPoint slides. People just, <laughs> they, they just can't, literally can't do it. And, right. and even the word presentation, it, it, the connotations are are bad. It's like presentations. I'm going to present to you. You don't have to do anything. You're the audience. You all you have all the expectations that it's going to be interesting and dynamic and entertaining. And it, it's it, even that word yeah. 
is 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 not good anymore. I don't think. Yeah, there. Well, there's yeah oxymorons in there. We're going to present, and it's going to be dynamic and interactive. It's like, yeah, rarely is, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's some of those words and certainly the connotations, and also just the the delivery, you know, really needs to to change. Even like with um, with training, I look at you know the training that I'm doing this year versus last year or prior years. Maybe last year, a year ago, it could, maybe in a in an hour and a half training session, maybe I would have had eight to twelve slides, and you know the training would you know kind of go that way. Right. T- today, this year, like right now, I'm doing five different training programs. In no same thing, hour and a half per session. In no cases do I have more than two slides, and one of them is the agenda, and mm-hmm. one might be a slide about st- stats and trends or something, or maybe just right. a review slide. That's it. People can't take it. It's like that that time together has to be interactive. It has to be workshop, problem solving, analyzing, creating, whatever it is. It has to be that. No PowerPoint. Yep. And prospects aren't any different. No, I mean, it's they're not. I mean, people are people, right? And it's, everybody's, we've all gone through the shared experience yes. of the last year and, and Zoom fatigued and yes. what have you. Yeah, yeah, you can't expect your prospects to be any any different. And now, doesn't mean it won't change at some point, but I think it's always been the case that if you can present without presenting, that you'll have a better outcome. You know, if you have the opportunity to be interactive, yeah, I, this was, you know, even when the early days of PowerPoint, yeah, we'd... <sighs> It was victory if we didn't have to open our, our laptop, yeah. right? We could go in for a final final competitive presentation, and if we could just spend the time at the whiteboard or around the table and the whiteboard, yeah. uh, problem solving, to your point. Yeah. At that point, we're really not problem solving as much as, uh, as confirming and validating. Yeah, but maybe uh, you are problem level solving. That, we, that, we, that yeah. we really understood their problem. Maybe we had something new. But the point being is... is Collaborative, yeah. interactive. Engaging, that's the whole key. Okay, super funny side note. Sure. So last year, I don't know exactly when this was, but during 2020 at some point, I stumbled across, you know, the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, which was which was Mm -hmm. televised. Uh, I don't know that that's always the case, but you know. Right. So Warren Buffett, all his all his PowerPoint slides were just white slides with like a few black text words. I thought that was. Pre- I'm like, wow. There's a throwback. <laughs> yeah. Well, he could. He could afford that. Um, but he had but yeah, all the no, stories. But, it was like, you know, yeah. I laughed at the slides, but it was like he. The slides weren't the thing. It was right. him and his, you know, stories and his expertise and his. And actually, it was. It was. It was captivating. And that's what people want. And that's what right? people I mean, want. It, yeah. I mean, slides have rarely been captivating no they haven't and 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 they've in, in, in any form <laughs> and yeah so i mean think about like a yeah a ted talk right right you just have to get up and for 17 minutes hold somebody's attention can you do that yeah yeah without the use with either with nothing or with very little you know in the background yeah the demands have have changed and i think this is this is what presents a real challenge for sellers especially in this I hate to make generalized by by generation, but yeah, the Gen Zs and Millennials, you know, were raised, they weren't talking as much, right? And yeah, we didn't have conversations the same way. I mean, I asked my my children who are in their thirties now, but when they were younger, you know, if you talk to your brother, oh yeah, no, they'd they'd text messages, right? (laughs) And that was a conversation. And so those skills don't translate well to you know, collaborative interaction, interactive presentations. Right. And so it, it becomes something that people need to invest time in, in learning and becoming comfortable with. Yes, and because a lot of those people certainly. are now decision makers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And while they appreciate receiving text messages from time to time and sparing them, you know, long emails, uh, at some point there's still a requirement that they need to talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does that conversation look like? And I think the thing is, you know, the work that I've been doing with with groups is 
when it comes to presentations, prospect presentations, no matter what it looks like, a demo mm-hmm. or whatever, is you know, what do we need to continue? You know, what's working? What do we need to start? And what do we need to stop? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's that really basic, you know, continue, start, stop that we've all used before in different ways in planning and and different things. I, I think it has real, uh, real utility right now as, as we're thinking about selling and we're thinking about presentations. And, mm-hmm. um, and the hard part is the hardest of the three is stop. <laughs> yes, it is because it's yeah, all- change of habits. Sure. Change yeah, of behavior, change of like habits. Absolutely. The trains on the track, you know, we, Oh good. We get to do this big demo or this big presentation and, yeah. But the thing is, yeah, that extends to, yeah, to all parts of selling, right? I mean, is, in my mind, you know, we're still on a track that left the station back in the early 1900s in sales. <laughs> and we fundamentally haven't changed. And so, you know, if, if we continue to look at sales purely from the perspective of the seller's view, which is, this you know linear process that has these discrete stages, right? Then we're always going to have this issue because a that's not how the buyer views what they're trying to accomplish. It's not how they go through their own process, which may not be as you know neatly delineated as as our sales processes, but it's still their process. And yeah. as long as we refuse to sort of measure and sort of denominate what we do from the perspective of the buyer. We're going to have these issues. We are. We yeah. are. And and so that's, had some good, um, some good research about a year ago sure. about well, the. I mean, they have good research all the time, but you know about the what the buying committees are doing and what their stages are do. You know, are do look like and what they're doing, thinking, feeling during the various stages. And well, yeah, they had their buyer enablement study that said the buyers are doing four jobs. Now, I, I tend to think it's five, but you know, let's take four or five, whatever, right? It's define a problem, evaluate alternatives, select a, a, a solution, right? Yeah. They call it finalize the requirements, but basically yeah. choose how you want to solve your problem. Yeah. And then the fourth step is choose who you want to solve it with. That's exactly. So select the vendor. Yeah. And that's it. And so I keep thinking, okay, well, Gartner, this was fabulous research. I yeah, really enjoyed it and and believe it wholeheartedly because it represents the way I experienced the world when I was selling large enterprise deals. Yeah, like not. I've never talked to a single sales organization since that was nineteen eight or nineteen eighteen twenty eighteen. They came out that research. Might as well have been nineteen eighteen because no one's done anything about it. Is is you know every organization still has their old sales process. I was like, well, why don't you shift it and say now your process is the buyer defines their problem. The buyer evaluates alternatives. The buyer uh, finalizes the requirement. I actually think there's two steps. They finalize the requirement, and then they yeah. choose how they want to solve the problem. And then they select a vendor. That should be your stages. Right. And it's matching, it's ma- you know, being in lockstep and matching. And, and the thing that I liked about that work, I can't believe it's actually been that long, but um, is – you know, there was a lot of details around that and, yeah. uh, you know, tons of details about how, you know, which goes hand in hand with the buying group getting larger and larger. And Gartner's been, you know, reporting on that, you know, consistently through the years. But 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 there was tons of details as to how they were feeling during those times, what they were doing, you know, not just that those were their steps, but mm-hmm. uh, or phases or stages, if you want to put it into you yeah. know, how sellers think. But, um, but, you know, so there was times during that that they are, were seeking specific kinds of value back to our prior conversation. And, well, yeah. you know, it, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, so if you really dive into that below just their top-level stages, like salespeople have top-level stages, you know, there's so much to be learned from that. Um, so I, I, well, I'm adamantly agreeing with you. Yeah, I mean, but, and so, but one of the things that, that still happens. And you look at, so they have this you know, f- famous or infamous flow chart. They went along with their research. They call their spaghetti diagram. I talk a lot about it here on the show. It's just, you know, impossibly dense flow chart uh, <laughs> of activities that, that happen. By, and by the way, the word sales only appears on it once. Um, oh, interesting. So, 
the seller should take a lesson from that. Yeah. But one of the key elements of of their flowchart was that having completed a task didn't mean they didn't go back and revisit it. Right. And right. so, and why would what would cause them to do that? Well, they learned something new. Right. right? Another, maybe another vendor came onto the scene. They had to reevaluate their requirements, maybe redefine the problem they were trying to solve because they now saw a potential different outcome than they could before. So if you're stuck in your linear stage-based process, let's say you go through qualification. Well, qualification is not a one-time event. Oh, it's at minimum never a been a one-time event. Three-stage event, minimum. Yeah, right. And you you've written about that. Yeah. And but the point is is yeah, the vast majority of sellers look at oh well, I have a stage on my process that's right. qualified, and I've got these exit criteria, and if I meet these exit criteria, it's like well, but wait a second. The buyer's still evolving in their understanding of what it is they're trying to do or how to accomplish. And so if you think you've qualified them based on this, well, you're going to miss the boat because they're going to evolve. And they're no longer going to be the the fit and the qualification that you think they are. And that's a problematic, hugely problematic for you as a seller. And so until we get rid of the scourge of these fixed stages... Yeah, we're always going to be hamstringing ourselves, handcuffing ourselves, which I unnecessarily and just yeah. There's another path out there that we can follow. You know, I I I I think one of the ways in our current environment, which is very stage driven, and and you know our CRMs kind of you know support that and reinforce that, but um, you know, just a simple level set at the beginning of every meeting, certainly at at the beginning of a presentation or discussion where there's multiple people involved. It's like the level set has to be a series of open-ended questions like, what have you learned? What's most interesting to you at this point? What do you, as a group, what do you, what do you got, what's your priority to learn more about? How has what you learned changed your thinking? You know, it's like, yeah, you probably are not going to ask all those questions, but, but, you know, maybe you pick two of the five to really level set. Because if you then just go into what you think you're going to talk about, whether it's during a meeting or a presentation or a demo, then right. you could be missing the mark a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred well, percent. When you, you've written about your three layers of, of qualification is those really mapped to, and I think a framework for sellers to keep in mind is that, People go through three stages of understanding to reach understanding. You know, there's and people have various names for these, but I, I believe you know the first stage is not knowing. Yeah. Right. You don't know what you don't know. The second stage is uncertainty. Yeah, I, I think I know what's going on. I think I understand what's happening, but there's still some factors at play that I'm not completely you know I'm completely nailed down that could affect the outcome. And then understanding. Yes. And. It's not just you going through that. It's your buyer as well. Right. So the buyer is going through their own stages of understanding they the are. problem, what the potential outcomes are. They've got uncertainty. They reach a stage where eh, they think they understand the problem, the potential outcomes, and perhaps the, the alternatives that exist in terms of how to solve it. But, yeah, they're not completely sure, and they're still learning. There could be a factor that changes that. So right. from a seller standpoint, you need to be thinking about not only your own level of understanding, which ties to sort of your layers of qualification. And right. I mean, discovery and qualification go hand in hand, right? So, yeah, I mean, think instead, sellers, is, is that every interaction you have with a buyer, you're going to have trust building, connection building, trust building. You're going to deepen your discovery. You're going to deepen your understanding of what the customer is trying to achieve. And you're going to deepen the level of value you're going to provide to help them make progress toward making a decision. Right. right. Every interaction, it's not segregated into its stages. Every single time you interact with the buyer, those things have to happen. Right, right. You're pulling those things forward, and 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 you can't really do that unless you sort of have this this habit around level setting and asking open ended questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times salespeople they don't want the answers to the question, so they don't ask them. You know, and they don't they, fit the narrative they have. Yeah, they just want to. They just want to. You know, it's like they had their persuade demo. you to buy their product. Yeah, we had our demo plan. That's we don't want to ask any questions that would get our agenda for our demo time, you know, off off script. And 
so uh, yeah, it's just it's 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 just so essential. And then overlapping on all of that is the other stuff that we talked about that where where you know the that same buying group or you know person mm-hmm. or team or whatever it is you know for your product or service they are inundated right now they're distracted they're overwhelmed and and they want it to be simple and they want it to have immediate impact and it and it's got to be really spot on um, yes. and so it's, it's, it makes for a pretty complex, uh, selling environment right now and buying environment. And I think the successful salespeople that went in strong and then, and then are open and nimble enough to, to adjust, um, are figuring it out. I, I have yeah. clients, I have one client best year ever in the history of their company, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've got other clients that that have have done really well, held their own, or, or 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 better. And then, you know, some companies just can't, or even salespeople and managers and VPs, they just literally, it just it seems like they're stuck. They cannot adjust, and I don't think they're yeah. going to make it. I I don't, you know, I just don't think they'll make it. Yeah, well, I, I you know, people oftentimes misinterpret. Uh, you know, Darwin's survival of the fittest because you know it wasn't about the strongest or the fastest surviving it was the most adaptable adaptable right and that was that was the whole thing is, to the new is, environment and yeah to a new to changes in the environment yep. and and that's that's always been an imperative for sellers because yeah I just look at the course of of my career yeah I've been selling at the leading edge of technology for 40 years now and believe me it's changed Substantially. I mean, <laughs> at the beginning of my career, the yeah, the biggest innovation was Federal Express. So <laughs> at least you didn't yeah. say the fax machine. <laughs> uh, well, that wasn't that much before then. I mean, it was, I mean, I was overseas in, in high school, and my dad was was transferred over to Japan on business. And yeah, when a fax came in, that was such a big deal. He I, again. I was I was in high school, but he would get dressed and go to the office to receive it. Um, things, yeah. The pace of change is lightning, lightning fast, and it affects a lot about what we do. It doesn't impact the core in terms of the ability to connect and make sure people feel understood and valued, and that part is still essential. And to point you're making before is I think yes, the environment is complex. Those things are really simple, and you need to keep that simplicity sort of front and center. I believe, especially working big deals, is is yeah, make it easy for people. Well, there's a couple things that you know, if you're a listener, salesperson, manager, VP, that 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 you know, you can practical things you can do. Two, two there's two practical things in my mind that you can do. Hmm. One, commit to pre-call planning habit. Yeah. Just done. It's not optional anymore, um, and 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 that and that's why I like my my guide because it's it it it's a thought process. It's not like mm-hmm. I I like the document so much. It's a thought process. So right. not just committing to pre call planning, but committing to a solid thought process mm-hmm. and and tool to do it. And the second thing in my world with with big accounts that I do share with Barbara Weaver Smith of uh, the Whale Hunters. Um, and others is um, account strategy sessions. N- mm-hmm. Not one, it, it, you know. It, it, the, I mentioned the example this morning of of the client that that I'm working with, and there we're trying to rub two sticks together to get a spark, and then because we need one this year, so we've got kind of three or four in action. We have our account strategy sessions scheduled for the entire year, all mm-hmm. year. So it, 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 it's it's. That is the level of those are two concrete things that everybody can do today. They can they can come they can find a guide that they like and commit to pre-call planning as a habit. And for their big opportunities, if you're lucky enough to have a possible whale opportunity, um, schedule account strategy sessions with the right people out. Schedule them three months out, then three months out, rolling three months, whatever it is, but what I see is is people don't do that, or they meet once or twice, and then they don't meet again, and and you lose momentum, and you can't do the things, all the things that we're talking about. The way to make them simple 
is to have the account team get together and talk about them and figure out how to make them simple. Frequently, yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, this is this is one of the places where you know selling is a team sport. Yeah. Especially in large opportunities, there's lots of people that ended up touching that that uh, opportunity. Is. People can be involved in it. Uh, many heads are smarter than one. I, I, and oh, you want to bring that brain power to play. Yep. And as a salesperson, you have to welcome the input from people. You can't be territorial about it, and you can't think you're the smartest person in the room. Is let let people help you and be open to the input. Yeah, absolutely. The account team gets it right. They do. They, they, if you have the right account team and the right kind of culture and, and mm-hmm. attitude that you're talking about, the account team will absolutely get it right. So if they're posed yep. with a problem of we need this executive sponsor and we can't figure out how to get to him and her, the account mm-hmm. team will figure that figure out, out if, yep. if you give them the chance. And the chance is account strategy sessions over time. And yep. so because they're going to go from that problem to the next problem, oh, now we have this competitor. We have to differentiate ourselves. We've got to do this. The account team will figure that out too. And then we're going to go to the next problem and the next and the next. And we're going to put all those things together over a period of six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, or whatever. And then we're going to win our 5X deal. Right. Which is a perfect game changer. Game changer. Game all right. changer. Perfect way, to, perfect way to end. All right, Lisa, thank you so much. You're welcome. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? They should go to my website and get that pre-call plan so they can get, So, so they can tell us cut. what that is again? Uh, it's www.toplinesales.com. They can get that free pre-call plan guide. They can, they can contact me there. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, they can get my latest book on plays to go after big deals. All different kinds of things. Tons of stuff there. All right. Perfect. Lisa, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Lisa Magnuson, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.